This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, we check in with Ryan Recker from Camel Wax in St. Louis discussing what $400,000 of a house will get you in different parts of Canada and the United States. Stephen Rossiter uh, from our good friends at HighlandTitles.com joins us to talk about British perspective, the passing of Prince Philip, how everything's going on with COVID there, and how they do expect to officially hit the herd immunity today over in the UK. We did ask him what kind of herd. I'm not quite sure the Canadians what our herd would be. Ryan figures herd of hosers is probably the best. Are you okay with moving? How about your spleen moving? That and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. Let's say hello to America as America says hello to Canada. Connecting the Shift and Ryan Recker from Overnight America via KMOX, the voice of St. Louis. Through the magic of technology, Ryan Recker, KMOX. Hello, Shane. Hi, brother. How are you? How are you? Yeah, we're just hanging out here, <laughs> just dealing with the COVIDs. How are you doing down there in St. Louis? Yeah, we're doing pretty good. I, we're just getting uh, back into the swing. We missed you last week because of Easter. See, I don't get a day off for holidays. I have to work holidays. Really? You don't get a day off for holidays? We got two days off for Easter. Oh, so nice. The The way it works here is because the way our contract works as talent is that you get a lot of vacation days, but you have to work all the holidays. So we get really? we get it on the back end. But you have to, you know, you just have to work. We don't have an unstaffed radio station. For the most part, we don't have an unstaffed radio station, too. Although this weekend, on the long weekend, we did run some best ofs, I think, because there's an awful lot of people that are really burnt out. But I think that we, uh, yeah, no, we, we get some, I don't know, I guess we do okay. I'd be curious to talk to you off the air what a contract looks like in America versus Canada. That'd be curious um, for we Atlanta Talk that. Radio. Yeah, probably should have <laughs> some ideas around there. <laughs> Yes. Um, you know, I, I was talking about something earlier, and normally we kind of chat through email some ideas of what we could be talking about. But it seems mm -hmm. like whenever we do that, we never talk about the things we say we're going to talk about. I, I did have a question <laughs> about something about Canada. Do you guys have a homeless problem? Are there certain areas that have homeless problems? Yes, there is. Uh, homelessness is a problem in Canada for a lot of different reasons. As you can imagine, the winter is very, very dangerous in many cities and homelessness is very much a one of those chicken and the egg scenarios with drugs and mental health and uh, then it sort of gets into the crime and that cycle begins it is different though from what i've seen in um down in the states so there was a when i would go to oahu in waikiki there was a corner in fact there was a guy on the corner where i went i don't know six months apart on a trip and he was still living on the corner. Like he'd still, it was right in the middle of Waikiki because he was allowed to be there. You couldn't kick him out. Mm -hmm. And there was a lady who was sleeping on, when I was there one week, she was sleeping on a park bench in front of the police station, I imagine, because it was the safest park bench around. And mm -hmm. uh, she didn't leave that park bench for seven days. Wow. And in Canada, in, yeah, in Canada, they, um, it's different here that you, you can't squat like that. You can't just set up a camp just anywhere. So I don't know if it's like that in all the cities. 
Yeah, like in the United States, it's uh, there was a Supreme Court ruling last year, and basically it said that if it's public area and it's not in the way of anything, you're allowed to use it. I, I can't remember the exact justification or the why the it was ruled that way. So you find that in a lot of areas, if it's just a public area, that the police either leave it alone or what you find is cities in California seem to have the worst problem with this because the cost of living is so high and the taxes are so high. And it's like the housing is just so incredibly expensive that people find themselves unable to get anywhere to live. So they decided to stay in a certain area. It's gotten to the point where large cities like New York or Los Angeles, what they'll do is they'll say, hey, if you're homeless, we'll buy you a train ticket or a bus ticket out of here. Pick any city you want. We'll let you become someone else's problem. You'll probably have a better chance of survival there. And it's gotten to that point where you're just transporting the homeless around. St. Louis has a homeless issue. There's a lot of large cities that have it. Yeah, there's a, we, we definitely are guilty of deferring the problem, but it tends to be neighborhood to neighborhood. They revitalize. That's the magic word. Let's revitalize this neighborhood. And they invest a bunch of dollars into real estate and commerce and whatever. And then it usually takes away the homeless popula- population, but they just make their way to another neighborhood. So we're sort of guilty of it that way. And in uh, Toronto, for example, you still see the homeless folks set up on the heat grates, those exhaust grates that you see on the sidewalk when you're walking down the street. Oh, yeah. Because it's warm, warm air. Vancouver, we just had a tent city in Vancouver that was set up that was, you know, crazy. Uh, how many people were there living in tents and just trying to, you know, the homeless, the homeless folks there. So it's kind of different everywhere you go. It's a, I don't understand how you fix it. Um, but it, deferring, yeah. it's not working. I can tell you well, that. Give me an idea what the cost of living is. I think, are you in Calgary? Yeah, so I'm in a small town just outside Calgary. There's just about, I don't know, 75,000 people in my city. Um, Right outside Calgary. Calgary is, I don't know, 1.3 million-ish, roughly. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. So cost of living in Calgary, because we are in Canada, the, the way the government has been working has been really crushing the oil and gas industry. And so, like, in Calgary right now, one third of the office towers are empty. So economically, Calgary's not going anywhere in housing. So Calgary's been always pretty affordable, although the average cost of a house in Calgary, I would guess, is probably still four hundred thousand. Um, not like mm-hmm. the average cost in Vancouver, well, which is still skyrocketing. What do you get for four hundred thousand? I sold a house. I was on this is uh, two thousand seven. I sold a house in on the west side of the city. We had a partial mountain view of the Rocky Mountains. It was a, we call it an infill house, so it was pretty skinny. It was about 28 feet wide, two stories tall, you know, a little poster stamp yard in the front. Um, I, I, it was 28 feet wide, I think was the lot even. And then in, there was an alley in the back, like a laneway and gravel laneway, no garage. And I sold that house for $415,000. Um, and that was in 2007. Whoa. So. Yeah, that seems. Uh, but now, I'm, I'm doing I can tell you this. Conversion. Yeah. I was going to say 415,000 Canadian dollar would be about 330 grand United States dollars according to the conversion right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's about it. My buddy in his place when I was in that house and I sold that house, he's in a 4,000 square foot estate home in Atlanta in Cumming, Georgia, just outside Atlanta, and I could have walked into his estate home uh and bought his estate home with the cash that came from that house. Oh yeah. He's in a 4,000 square amazing, foot estate isn't home. Isn't it? Yeah. I can, I can give you one better. Places like that. In Ottawa, where my Melanie is, 
1,300 square foot townhouse, like row house townhouse, new ones that are maybe eight years old, seven years old, um, sold for $600,000 attached, uh, Canadian. So, wow. That to me seems just so much because you think a townhouse would mean that you would have no property associated with it, right? Yeah. Just a tiny little postage stamp. Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. How much was mm-hmm. that again? 600 and what? It was about 620, I think it sold for, was the final number. Um, there was another okay, so house that just sold. 493,000 US. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Anecdote there was a house that was listed for 1.5 million uh, in Ottawa. It was very nice, lots of acreage, lots of dirt, uh, right on the river, everything else. I think it was listed at 1.5 million, sold for 2.7 million last week. And um, that was the the rate. So, like houses are built different here because of the winter. Like the they're way different in in how they're built in in insulation and all that stuff. So that's a thing. And the other part is is that this is where Canada gets it wrong. Is inflation in Canada with all of these things is nasty. We don't we can't go just buy a house like all of these uh, great. I don't know if you like to watch those DIY house flipping shows. Some of them are amazing. I love them. Love them. Love you cannot them. do in Canada what they do when they go buy a beat up old house that has a crawl space. Um, cause houses in Canada have to have, for the most part, have to have a basement. Um, that, uh, so you can't go buy a house for, you know, that, that $55,000 and put a hundred grand into it and sell it for 200. I mean, that doesn't happen here. Yeah. You never get that yard either. So. Yeah, I, I watch a lot of this old house. I don't know if that's just an American thing because of PBS or if that gets up there, but it's like mm-hmm. HGTV except more hands-on. So is the reason that you have to have a basement is because you normally want to get a foundation or something underneath it below the permafrost line, so you really have to dig deep anyway? I would imagine that's that's kind of what I've always assumed is the case is because of the fact that you tend to see crawl spaces in the warmer areas like on the coast. You don't see them anywhere else so like the slab based homes that when used to watch um oh what's his name ty pennington build a slab home on those shows for in a week yeah no that's not a thing that's funny slabs i just like that name i mean that sounds like a great radio disc jockey name doesn't it slabs you're listening to slab yeah (laughs) yeah there's a lot that uh i think a lot of different areas are still trying to figure out how they're going to react because of covid and you got different problems in canada you're right with the energy like for us a lot of these different cities are going to be infused with a lot of money the government just signed another giant stimulus package which sends direct payments to a lot of cities like st louis for example is going to get 500 million dollars to try to combat but they can spend it in other ways. They just have to try to, I guess, loosely base it on COVID in some way or fashion. So there's always the big debate on how these cities are going to spend it. Did, did the government send money to individual cities to help fight COVID in Canada? Yes and no. Um, the the government, Canadian government, did a really, really good job. They've started some of these support systems right off the get-go, and some of them went really well, and some of them were really, really crappy, and some of them didn't work out. And mm. some, you know, the wage supplement was a big one. So for companies that were losing X amount of business year over year, you were allowed to apply for wage supplement. So that meant you can get more employees on, and the government was supplementing those wages. That was a big one. That helped out a lot of people. There was a basic benefit, kind of like an unemployment insurance, except was based specifically on covid the restrictions were different. So if you lost work for two weeks because you had to be off, you could you could apply for that benefit. So they, they've done a really, really good job with a lot of those things. That's for sure. Of course, in politics, there's an awful lot of looking at this and saying, prove it. 
uh, show us where the money went. And I think that time will tell much like what happens down in the States kind of, I mean, we heard here about some of the earmarks that are buried in some of those bills in the States. Do those ever surprise you when it's like, Hey, or here's a billion dollars for COVID and a new bridge for New Hampshire. Like that seems weird. <laughs> I know. And like here we have the city of St. Louis and then there's St. Louis County. So they're two different governments and each of the different governments received money. So the way that the city spent it is different than the way the county spent it. The city actually did a pretty good job at spending it. At least we're financially responsible the county was not so much responsible and they're heavily criticized and rightfully so should be criticized for it so that's what we're watching round two of this money coming in how will it be spent is it going to be used in a way that is uh, effective or not and we have a new mayor of the city of st louis coming in in just a few weeks so that's also the question new mayor new administration what are the priorities there because they haven't really put a detailed plan on what they would do in order to spend this we got a lot of problems in st louis the homicide rate's still very high like in a lot of these major cities in the united states and a lot of people are wondering are, are things going to continue to get worse or are they going to spend some of that money in order to try to put some programs in place that could help alleviate that and maybe take that away from you know, where they could be spending it for other COVID related things. Is there any um, specific, I'm just curious. I mean, is there a specific thing that that money gets spent on? Does it go into, geez, I don't even know more parks or, uh, you know, new buses with bigger windows. <laughs> I don't know, like how did what you would spend it on, but those are bad examples, but yeah. is there a specific that you guys have there for what, what your city might spend for COVID spending? Yeah. Yeah. There is, I think, really anything, as long as they say it's COVID-related. If it's federal dollars, they have to say there's some relation to COVID. So let me give you an example of how that could be loosely translated. So like in St. Louis, we saw funding going towards like temporary things. Sometimes they would say, okay, we're going to put together um, temporary morgues in case there's an overflow of deaths. Now, luckily, that wasn't needed. But they, you know, they spend it on stuff like that. Sometimes they would say, OK, uh, the homeless is, could be spreading it. So if they're on the street, not as sanitary, don't have access to what someone else may have access to. So what they decided to do in St. Louis, they built some of these tiny homes as a way to say, OK, this might actually help the stop of the spread, even though this is really our primary focus is to help the homeless in the county a little bit more liberal in the sense of spending. For example, one of the things they got highly criticized for was the prosecutor, the head prosecutor in the county, wanted new flat screen TVs. So they put the new flat screen TVs in all the offices there, and he said, this will be great for our teleconferencing. We need these flat screen TVs. That one was looked at and said, oh, not really a COVID expense, but it, it did qualify. Yeah, well, I get that. Isn't that funny? There's always that guy. There's always one. Always one person who takes it to that place who just seems to screw it up for everybody. I don't like, I find it hard. I find it hard to figure out what, what, cause everyone can be critical of what the government does, but it is kind of hard to come up with ideas about where we should spend the money. I mean, there was a time in Alberta where they had gone to McDonald's and McDonald's was distributing free masks for every Albertan. All you had to do is go through the drive through and ask for masks and they would give you a packet of 10 masks or whatever it was along with your order. You didn't even have to order any food, and it was free masks from the provincial government of Alberta. So does anything like that happen? I'm guessing not. 
I haven't really seen mass distribution. I, Joe Biden did mention that they were thinking about mailing people masks, but I think that kind of got squashed. I, I don't think that was something that really got far. But there was another instance. This is a pretty good instance. You talk about government and bureaucracy. So in the county, I think they hired someone. I, I believe the rate's like 150000 a year. So not a low-paying job, actually a pretty high-paying job to help coordinate some of these different sites where they distribute the vaccine. Now, as it turns out, they've done such a terrible job of setting these sites up. Individual organizers are taking it on themselves to try to get these sites set up because the people that they hired as the government aren't doing the job properly. Wow. Well, we have contractor problems in Canada, too. My goodness. Ryan Record, we're out of time, brother. Thank you so much. Always good hearing from you. This is the Shift Podcast. Well, media over in the U.K., is focused on one thing and one thing only. The good news is COVID has been, vaccines have been happening and all of that. Uh, doesn't look like it's going to create a lot of change, though, in the celebration of Prince Philip and his passing a couple of days ago. It's our first opportunity to talk about it, and we've got to connect with our brother over. And now, just to be clear, uh, he's in Scotland. He's from England, and um, he's with HighlandTitles.com. It's it's with our uh, our friends over there. Uh, check that out too. Um, the uh, conversation with Stephen Rossiter. He's our uh, he's our guy. Stephen, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning to you, Shane. Uh, thanks for taking some time to chat with us. I'm assuming the media over there is all Prince Philip all the time. It, it is. Yeah, we we had a, a weekend of it. Uh, we've gone into uh, eight days of official mourning, um, which is basically uh, from the Friday when he died now through to the, his funeral uh, on Saturday. So, yeah, the media is full of. We've got lots of uh, obviously archive footage of uh, of what he's done over the uh, over the last uh, hundred years of his life. Um, and uh, to be fair, you know, I think they're doing a, the media are doing a very good job on it. They've this has obviously been planned, as you probably aware, being in the media. These things are planned mm-hmm. well, well in advance. They've probably had this uh, planned for a good two or three years. Uh, it was Operation Fourth Roadbridge, from what I've been uh, hearing. So uh, hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's sad, but he's lived or lived. He lived a, a very fruitful and good life, and mm-hmm. uh, I think we'd all sign up for ninety nine years if we were given that opportunity. Well, I was going to ask that question. What is it with you folks over there and you, you Brits and Scots and all these folks living so long? Like everybody's <laughs> almost a hundred. It seems you guys. Yeah, I know. It's the it's the good air over here, and of course we're not we're not we're basically not mixing with anybody anymore. So we're going to be living longer. I That's mean, true. That, with everybody being two and a half meters apart, we can't catch anything. So, you know, no, there'll be, be no babies either. No, no um, babies, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Okay. So, uh, Prince Philip has been around for a long time. This must be incredibly grounding, uh, for people who follow the monarchy in general and the family, because the queen is also, you know, she's, she's, she's getting up there too. So I think that yep. the perspective as I understood it was, any day something could change. That was sort yep. of what everyone had accepted. Now oh, yeah. something has changed. So th- this must be kind of hard and still a wake-up call for uh, what's next in that family. Absolutely. I mean, the, obviously, um, there's a lot of speculation as to what could happen, what might happen, but it's very early days yet. I mean, the first thing that the Queen had to do uh, following his death was basically sign off on the preparations for his funeral. Now, um, his funeral is going to be... Um, respectful of the covid restrictions 
So there will only be 30 people, which is at the moment what the law allows at a funeral, 30 people plus um, uh, the clergy. Um, so the Prime Minister, for instance, Boris, who would normally attend um, a funeral of any monarch, won't be there. Uh, so this is going to be a very different funeral. But indeed, it's what Prince Philip wanted. He didn't want a big a fussy funeral. He wanted something very low-key. It was never going to be a full state funeral. So, um, in a way, uh, he's probably getting what he wished for, which is there's going to be no procession. Um, it's all going to happen within the grounds of Windsor Castle. Uh, so, from what I'm hearing through the media, it is just a very low-key funeral with the, um, with the 30 people attending and all members of the royal family. Do you find that encouraging for the royal family to follow the protocol as I, per well, a normal family? I think they had to do it, Shane. They couldn't, even if they didn't want to. I mean, I'm sure if they really wanted to have a big state funeral, they'd have found a way of doing it. But really, why? Why? How could they? When you know we've all been under such strict draconian laws for the last uh, twelve, fifteen months. Um, I think if the royal family were to say, "Well, hang on a minute." who cares about what you've been through? Uh, we're going to have our big state funeral. I think it really would have been another nail in the coffin for them and probably the final nail. So I think they're definitely doing the right thing. They have to be seen to be following the COVID restrictions. And I'm sure that's what the Queen would want to have, would have wanted, would want to be doing as well. I don't think she would yeah. want to fl flout any, any rules that her, that the public have been under for the last 15, uh, 15 months. Have you heard about Prince Harry coming home? So, believe it or not, on the news this morning, I was waking up, Prince Harry is now back in the UK and oh, wow. he has started his quarantine. So the rules at the moment for coming into the UK are you he would have taken a COVID test in the States before getting on the plane. Um, he will have, we have what's known as a five-day test and release scheme. So you have a test on day two when you arrive in the UK. You have a test on day five. If those two tests are negative, you're then allowed to leave your quarantine place. Um, and then you have another test on day eight, just to sort of make sure that there's nothing lurking in mm. your system. Um, but actually, um, he could go into the... Or, if you don't want to do that, you have to have 14 days of quarantine. But you are allowed to leave your quarantine for um, com on compassionate grounds. So he would have been allowed to you know, come over, quarantine for four days and then just go to the funeral. But again, from what the media are saying, he's having his tests. And at the moment, he is in Kensington Palace, I believe, doing the quarantine. Not bad, eh? It's a tough place to, tough place to a hang tough on, life, right? isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Meghel has to come food. over because Meghel's uh, pregnant. So she wasn't, she would not have yeah. been allowed to fly anyway and would not have been allowed yeah. to come over. So... Yeah. Um, she hasn't. Might be for the best, actually, because it might I allow so. some conversation. I think that, so. Uh, I think this has all worked out very well for everybody. So it yeah. will be the first time that Harry's um, met. Um, so the first time that Harry meets any members of his family, this will be the first time since the Oprah interview that he would have met anyone. So I think the cameras may well be pointing towards him quite a lot during this yeah. funeral. So do you think that this is... Um you know, as, as sort of a, an observer of all of this, do you think that this is an opportunity for change and to sort of reconcile some of those things? Because it wasn't overly harsh. It was a very exposing interview, but it wasn't overly harsh, except for the couple of race things. And, yeah, um, you know, those, those know. are I mean, important. She's been, caught, she's been caught out on the we were already married um, sort of uh, 
comment that she made. Yeah, uh, that, that, that was illegal. I, either a, a, a mistake uh, or a misunderstanding on her part or a blatant lie. I don't know. But yeah. it was certainly not the truth. Um, yeah, because they, they had uh, a know, ceremony, but it was just a, like an honorary ceremony. It wasn't even a real it, thing. No, it was a rehearsal. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a rehearsal. Now, if you wow. can mistake a rehearsal for the real thing, I don't know. But anyway, hmm. um, I, 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 I mean, the Queen, what, what the papers are, what people are, are saying over here is, well, the Queen may now abdicate. Well, I don't know that she will, because I think she's always said she would never abdicate. Um, so the next in line to the throne is uh, Prince Charles. He will, he is, will become king at some point. Um, unless his mother outlives him. Uh, and of course, you know, I mean, the way the Queen looks, I think she could go on forever, quite frankly. So, yeah. Um, Sounds like you have a bit It'll be William, indeed. It'll be Prince William. And I think that the, what will happen is you'll see that you'll just see a slim down royal family um, in terms of the, the ones that do the, the sort of meet and greet, if you want to put it like that, you know, the royal engagements. Um, you know the fact the size of the family is the size of the family. If, you know they've got she's got four children, uh, and they've all got uh, at least four. Um, they've all got children of their own. You know, so um, they're all part of the family. Uh, but it's the, the the sort of senior royals that we'll find will be uh, will, will be slimmed down. I think it is a curious state of what they do next because the relevance of the family has been challenged globally. Uh, especially with some of the the race comments, when you look at the Commonwealth and the the, the family lineage or the heritage of some of the different um, countries, and um, you know if if Charles if the, ra- if the race comments happened, of course. Well, if they happen, of course, that's true. Um, but that being said, the um, that that is actually a very good point. That's worth saying. So the assertion is that they happened, and the um, and looking at making somehow that all the whole thing relevant. Charles does it. William does it. Like who steps in next? And and uh, with the, your comments about the Queen, with her uncle abdicating and getting her dad in that spot, which put her family in that yes. place anyway. I I would be absolutely shocked if she would impose that on someone else after it was imposed on her. Yeah, I I think um, I think what I don't know. I mean, what I would like to see is Prince William take the reins i think he would do a lot for the royal family and and basically sort it out he will i think he might just uh connect with the younger generation um they do seem to be still very popular um prince uh prince william and uh, and catherine so i think that would be good i I don't think but but charles has been brought up to be king he you know that mm-hmm. has been his next role you know he's been second in line to the throne for for many years um so i i i couldn't i wouldn't like to second guess what will happen in all in all mm. fairness i think it's very early to say um at the moment all the royalists who would normally want to come down to windsor and line the streets of london are being told to stay at home and watch everything on the television so which which you know, i did find ironic because very, they, very they did they, times at the they they posted the, the the official declaration or whatever on the gates, um, which is the tradition. Um, they have to do that. Yeah, yeah, they do that. And then the irony is like they're like, well, here's the official notice. Don't come read it. <laughs> but don't come and read it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> which I know. is funny. Stephen 
Stephen Rossiter is uh, in is he, he's in Scotland right now. He's he's from England, and um, might as well talk about a little bit about COVID because you just said about these are strange. Yeah, times. sure, I don't mind. Yeah, your, yeah. Vaccinations are, seem to be going well in your neck of the woods, a lot better than here. So how's it going, real? Really? Well, um, uh, uh, Imperial College, which is a uh, um, one of the main colleges in London, Imperial College London, have stated that um, sometime today we will reach herd immunity. Now, that means that basically more than 70.3% of the population, or is it 73%, something like that, of the population are basically um, immune, Um, Mm. which means they've either had two vaccines, or they've either had a vaccine, rather, sorry, or they have had COVID and therefore carry the antibodies. So um, there's a lot of pressure at the moment on Boris to uh, release us a little bit quicker but I don't think he will. He will stick to our roadmap, and I can see our roadmap. Probably, I can see the roadmap working. I think so. Yeah. Today is a is a key day. Um, we're allowed um, non-essential retail are reopening. Hairdressers are reopening. I don't need a hairdresser that much, but uh, <laughs> they are re- they are reopening. Gyms are reopening. I do need a gym, yeah. but I don't go to a gym. <laughs> they're, they're reopening. Um, and pubs are opening. The good old oh, English pub better. is opening, but you have to sit outside. And if you yeah. were to look outside now at the weather, I don't know. All there is is snow on the ground. But that's probably just uh, just where I am. I think uh, I think well, that's out. We, uh, we're bad. in the same boat. Uh, depending where you are in Canada, um, there is no indoor dining. The pubs are allowed to be open and the restaurants for the patio only. Uh, depends yeah. on where you are in the country, though, of course. There is one thing, though. You talk about herd immunity. So we'll wrap with this question. In Canada, Ryan, if we had to call ourselves herd immunity, uh, the question always becomes herd of what? So if you had to decide a herd of what in Canada, I want you to think about that, and I'll ask Stephen. Stephen, if you guys in, in Britain or the UK in general had to be a herd of something um, for your herd immunity, what herd would you be? <laughs> what herd would we be? I have no idea. I don't even know if I understand the question. A herd well, of we, something. I'm not sure if we well, would I mean, be like a herd. A herd I mean, we, the, the traditional herd is a herd of cows, but uh, there you go. You know, so I don't want to go down that route. We could be a gaggle. Of, we could be a gaggle of geese in Canada. I mean, I don't know what you call a herd of beavers, but maybe beavers. Uh, I don't know what a, uh, what a collection of beavers is. Is it a no? It's a school of fish. I don't know. I don't know. I'm never good at I those. Uh, I think they're just a family. Ask me. Ask me a question on sport. That's what I want. Sport. <laughs> all right. All right. What's your favorite football team? English sports. <laughs> Did you have, you have a favorite football team there? I actually well, I support an English team called Reading, who uh, are. Um, are in their second tier and uh, and do sort of they're they're a bit of a yo-yo team they go up they go down they go up they go down they're, they're a bit yeah. like that so yeah. uh, but they're good but Sounds I've, I've like missed my hockey going team. To, I don't know about you guys but I've missed going to football matches I really yeah. have you know yeah. I used to go yeah. and uh, see quite a bit of football especially when I was down in in the south in Reading so it's uh, yeah yeah I do miss that and I I, I hope that that comes back um, fairly soon. So, yeah. It's yeah. the same for us, man. I, I I really would love to go watch a hockey game. Stephen Rossiter is in uh, yeah. he's in Scotland. He's from London and and he joins us with he's with Highlandtitles.com. Go check out their website. They've got a pretty great yeah, uh, nature reserve there and, and some pretty great stuff to check it out too. Yeah, so thank you very much, Stephen. Scotland as well when it's all over. Which won't we will long, do that. Sure. Ryan wants to go by right. the way. So Does he? It, oh, all right. He, he does. Can come over. We can we can yeah. uh, interview Ryan on the reserve. 
very early in the morning. Live on the on nature York reserve, show. that's a great idea. And not yeah. only that, we uh, we also have the technology now that we, because we do the shows from home, they have told, given me the thumbs up that we can travel with this technology and take it anywhere. So, uh, ah, right. I don't know if they're hey, ever going to let me do it, but I'm going to try. I see a good feature coming in over the, in the next, <laughs> I in love the next it. months. <laughs> thank you very much, Stephen. It's been great to talk to you. Thank, for invi- thank you for inviting me on again. It's the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with moving? No. I've been in Vancouver, (laughs) notoriously expensive, for six years, and I've Mm -hmm. lived in six places. I am over moving. Oh, my God. Six places and, oh, I mean, I've, yeah. I've lived in Calgary for 10 years and I've only moved once, which was a few months ago. And I don't have a lot of stuff and it sucked. It was way too much work. Like, it's way more than you think, <laughs> right? It's just, it's a lot. I, there's, a, um, there's a saying that once you turn 35, there's no way anyone's going to... Uh, Anyone's going to show up for a slice of pizza and and a couple of couple of Bud Lights, right? Like, just hire someone. <laughs> it's way easier. <laughs> so yeah. that's the future. You get these bright ideas, and then you go move, and you carry the stuff around, and you're like, "Oh my god, I can't walk for four days." Uh, I so moved last boy. time by myself into this house. Uh, I then got help for the big things, and I don't think I'll ever do it again. I don't think I can. If I can't afford to pay the mover. The move doesn't happen mm-hmm. or sell all the stuff. I don't know. Are you okay with moving? Well, how about your organs moving? Let's get the clip. Slide to the left. Slide to the right. Crisscross. Crisscross. Cha cha, real smooth. Let's go to work. Let's go to work. So that's what's happening inside somebody's guts. Oh, no. It was a little bit of a slide to the left. A 36-year-old Michigan woman was rushed to a local emergency room after experiencing abdominal pain. Why? Her spleen went for a trip. The organ responsible for moving unwanted substances in foreign bodies moved from above her stomach to a new home slightly below and slide to the right. So the condition properly known as wandering spleen is actually a thing. It occurs when ligaments that hold the organ in place stretch and allow it to move freely around the abdomen. Surprisingly, the woman had liver cancer scan just two days ago, and in that scan, the spleen was where it should be. Two days later, uh, the spleen was AWOL and went for a little walk. Uh, doctors believe that the walking organs are a result of progressive disease that causes blood to clog and flow backwards toward the spleen, pushing it away. Unfortunately for the woman, she's not getting her spleen removed until she learns whether she needs a liver transplant. My goodness. I hope she's so okay. She has, to, she has to live with the spleen under her stomach. Yeah. So she's taking medication Whoa. to relieve the pain because her spleen um, had some spleen to do. No, okay, I'll give you that one. That was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty good. Ed. Oh God, I haven't laughed at one of my own jokes in a long time. Probably not funny for you, but that was good for me. 
Anyway, yeah, so if you uh, experience stomach pain, add that to your Google searches of your WebMD, because when we, you know, when we Google search things and we end up yep. that we're going to die by the end of the day. Yeah, I'm really so. bad for that. So now I know if pain is in, you know, above the stomach and surprisingly the next day it's in a different spot. Oh, my spleen is probably in the wrong place. Let me just scoop that back right up. I look forward to that text message. <laughs> hey Shane, I got a problem. Good. My spleen's <laughs> moving. I googled it. Oh, you know what's? I find it crazy that like you know, a, a, an occupational therapist can. Laura, my partner, she's involved in that, and she was shadowing someone. And the doctor looks at her and goes, "Okay, this woman's pancreas is a few inches in the wrong spot," and just puts his hand and just pushes, and now voila the pancreas is back where it needs to be like that's oh. that freaks me out that they even move so oh that's ugh. yeah i i'm not okay with that are you yeah. okay <laughs> are you okay with university it's expensive but it's it's uh, i mean it can be good um, but do what's the percentage of people that use their education from university and end up in the field that they, they yeah. went for? I'd say it's like it's, if it's half. Definitely, definitely. It's way too expensive. Uh and it's it's very it's difficult. I, I went to state, which is college, right? And I finished school and had a job the next day. You know, I got my diploma and that's what I needed to get a job. And it's it's difficult watching your friends spend four going on six years studying and they get a job done or they get their degree. They're brilliant. They did all the study, all the work, and they're working at Starbucks because they can't find a job. So yeah. that's why I've always been really hesitant to go to university. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're going to be a doctor or lawyer, those ones are pretty clear, but still. Um, applying to university can be stressful, but exciting experience for high school seniors. Well, hundreds of thousands of students were surprised to see they had been accepted to a university that they never applied to. Uh, this is Lex 18. Here, Erin Esping's top college choice like, I love this is taking her across the pond. She's headed to the University of Edinburgh to study history and politics. Gabriel Botello has stars in his eyes with his acceptance to the University of Southern California's film program. That's my dream school. Texas high school senior Mary Doherty imagines herself as a writer. All different schools and different majors. But there's one thing these seniors all have in common. They were all accepted to the University of Kentucky's College of Health Sciences Clinical Leadership and Management Program, one which the university describes as selective, admitting only 35 to 40 students every year. The catch? None of these students ever applied to the University of Kentucky. Wait a second. Does the university know what they were going to do for their careers, or did they just get an acceptance letter that was vague? It'd be really creepy if it was like, congratulations, Ryan, you've been accepted into the psychology program. And you're like, how did you know I was thinking about that? This is a simulation. It's proof. Whoa. So according to the university, 500,000 people were accidentally sent acceptance letters uh, Lex 18 got a response from the university after all of this. 
It was just really, like, strange, really odd. And according to the university, neither did nearly 500,000 other students who received this same acceptance email on March 15th. I I had to Google it up just to make sure it was a real college because I was like, I've heard of them, but I'm not so sure. I had never been on the website. I've never been to Kentucky, let alone University of Kentucky. The University of Kentucky said it had a technical issue that sent the hundreds of thousands of emails in air. The school tells us that it regrets this happened, saying the mishap was through its customer relationship tool, which sends out information to current and prospective students or those the university is recruiting. The school caught its mistake and sent out an apology within 24 hours. The university also said only a handful of the students who received the email were accepted to the school. Quote, the vast majority had not, nor had the vast majority of these students expressed an interest in the program. Ouch. Am I the only one that's more concerned about the fact that the University of Kentucky has a mailing list of 500,000 people that have never <laughs> applied to go there? Yeah, there's some data mining stuff there. There's That's why you should, uh, uh, you know, read the terms and agreement when you, you know, sign up for a website or something because your email is yeah. going somewhere else. That's kind of yeah. sketchy. Do you feel bad for that 000. one... But what about like the probably 15, maybe 30 people that applied mm. that got the acceptance letter and then found out they didn't get in mm-hmm. along with 500,000 people? Yeah. <laughs> How does that happen? Who who bungled it at that level to make that happen? Geez, even on MailChimp, they have the, are you sure you'd like to send this button? <laughs> you exactly. have to click it twice, right? <laughs> My goodness. Are you Okay. Are you okay with the Masters? Yeah. I I like golf. I mean, I don't really care professionally. I just really enjoy drinking beer on a golf course and trying to hit a ball really far. Mm-hmm. Masters is cool, though. This is a remarkable story, by the way. Happy Gilmore, one of the best movies ever made. Ryan put golf movies. I'm putting movies. Uh, one master's hopeful resemblance to a character from the film has led Happy Gilmore himself wishing him luck. Will Zalatoris, who has made his debut at Augusta National, and Gilmore's caddy at the Waterbury Open in the cult classic 1996 movie, had drawn similarities. If you remember the very beginning of Happy Gilmore, he walks up onto the tee, and this blonde-haired kid comes up, and here's the clip. Hey, where are you going with those clubs, huh? Mr. Gilmore, I'm your caddy. Oh, I'm sorry about that. No, 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 let me carry these, all right? They're my grandfather's. They're pretty old. Well, what should I do then? I don't know. Why don't you just watch me and make sure I don't do anything stupid, okay? Mr. Gilmore, Mr. Lafferty will be teeing off now. All right. Good luck, buddy. Get out of the way. We'll worry on that one, dipshit. Oh, so good. So um, Zalatoris himself wasn't actually in the film. He just looks a lot like the young actor uh, who was wearing the plaid shirt and stood st- and took the, the clubs. His name was Jared Van Snellenberg. It didn't stop Adam Sandler from reaching out to wish him well on Sunday. Have fun today, young man. Mr. Gilmore is watching you and very proud, he said on Twitter. Seems to have paid off uh, as Zalatoris was the runner-up at... Uh, the tournament this weekend, which was amazing to watch. The Masters and the carpets and the Hogan Bridge, the Brock Bridge. Oh, 
I did say to uh, my friend Ryan, who's a golf pro, I said, I mean, even I could hit the green when you're hitting from carpet like that, to which he responded, yeah, but you would still four putt, which is also probably true. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.